0: All right. If you got your Bibles, let's go to the Book of Psalms, the Book of the Psalms, number ninety-six. I'm thinking we'll spend just a few more weeks in the Psalms, uh, probably through Easter, which I think's about three weeks away. So um, we're going to be um, going through Easter in the Psalms, and then we'll we'll move on to something else. I don't want this to get stale on you, and I don't want it to. Um, to to bore you after a while. But I have so enjoyed them, and I, I hope that you have enjoyed the Psalms. They have been such a treasure for me through this time. So um we're going to just continue on them for a few more weeks, and then we'll move into something else. But if you've got it and you're uh, able, would you please stand as we uh, give reverence to reading the living and powerful Word of God, please. If you need to stay seated, that's okay. Whatever you need to do. Psalm 96, we'll read the whole psalm. It says, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations and declare His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. So ascribe to the Lord, or give to the Lord is what it means. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And bring an offering, and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. And say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy." Before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. And He will judge the peoples in His faithfulness. You can be seated. As you're seated this morning, Chris Pope, would you lead us in prayer please? Amen. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about a call to worship, a call to witness, and a call to be ready for the Lord's coming. You know, um, several years ago, we... um, we used to teach classes on evangelism in in this church, and um, focused on evangelism. And we would go out in the community, and we would um, we would spread the gospel. And I can remember there's not too many places in Giles County that we haven't been and knocked on doors. And I remember one one Saturday we all met, and it was me and Pinky back there, and uh, we we were going down this road, and we were going to start just knocking on doors. And we we got to this one guy's house. And um, he was sitting on a swing. He was kind of a bigger guy. And so it was a little intimidating walking up to him. You know, this guy's just sitting on his porch on his swing. And we're fixing to just walk up and basically share the gospel with him. And so we were both very scared and we walked up to him. And, um, and Pinky got to witnessing to him. He was talking to him. And then uh, the longer he got to talking to him, it wasn't long before the conversation turned to the fact that this guy was actually a pastor. And He was the first person that we went to to go witness to. And so getting started in this was very was very difficult. It was tough. Um, unsure of ourselves. And it's been years ago, but didn't know what we were doing. And um, just knowing that we just want to be obedient and just share the gospel. And then um, I can remember that we would go to um, other places and try to share the gospel and it would be people that just didn't want to hear it. That didn't didn't care anything about what you had to say, and we shut the door in your face. And we got all kinds of responses from trying to share the gospel with people. But one of the things that I learned through that process, and you know, the Bible taught I do believe the Bible talks about a special calling, a special ministry of evangelism. People that literally are called to go into all the parts of the world. And not that we're all not called there. But I do believe that there is a special gifting and a special call. I believe that's one of the things, just one of the things that the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said it would be better if you don't get married. He told some of the people, he said, listen, I'm not telling you that getting married is wrong, but I'm saying as far as serving the Lord, if you're able to stay single... For some of you, it's far better because you're able to commit your life completely to the ministry. But the man that is married is concerned not only about the things of the ministry, but he also has to be concerned about the things of his family. His wife is now a ministry of his. His children are now a ministry of his. And so his focus as far as away from evangelism is is split because now he has to do both of these things. But... Even still, I believe that each and every one of us are called to share the gospel. What I have learned is that one of the best ways to share the gospel, it really is through my everyday life. Through the people that I am put in contact with every day. I can remember um, several years ago, um, I was working at a place and there was this young lady and I would walk by her every day. She was from a different country. Excuse me. <clears throat> she was from a different country, and I would walk by her every day, and um, I would speak to her, but I never would really stop and talk to her. And and I, I thought to myself one day, I really felt like the Lord was speaking to me, and I, I didn't know for certain. I'm not telling you I heard an audible voice or anything, but I just felt like something was saying, "Go over and go over and talk to this lady. Go over and just just talk to her." And so I kept walking by and I kept walking by and I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And finally, I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I, I had to just go and talk to her. And so I went over there and I, I started talking to this young lady. And I can remember that um, w- the more we talked, the more we realized that um, she had so many issues in her life. Her kids weren't uh, with her and they were in another country. And I mean, it was, she had so many things that was just so burdened on her heart. And I can remember I just stopped and I just prayed with her. And after I prayed with her, she began to talk to me about my God and about the, 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 the God that I worship, the God that I served, And I was able to just share the gospel with her. And um, long story short, that, that woman became a Christian and she went on to be involved in the church and um, just a very, very good woman. Now, in that same place, I worked with another person that um, I was talking to them one night and they were having some issues and I was talking to them about praying for them and things like that. And, um, whenever I start trying to share the gospel with them, they looked at me and they said, I don't want to hear that mess. Just get that, don't talk to me about that. And so I can tell you through the years that one of the things I've learned is that God puts people in our path to just tell people about the God that you serve, about the God that you worship. Some of them are going to be receptive. Some of them are going to slam the door in your face. But we have a responsibility to just tell people about the goodness of our God. It's not about being some um, uh, theological professor in some specific doctrine so that you you know everything about a particular subject. But the question is this, do you know what the Lord did in your life? Do you know what He's done for you? Can you tell your story? And so one of the things I've learned is that It's not necessarily for everybody about going door to door and knocking on everybody's door. For some, and I do believe it's a good experience for everybody, All right, But I still believe that you cross paths with people every day that need to hear your story. They need to hear praises coming from your mouth so that when something happens in your life, everybody hears from you, well, look at what the Lord has done. Or or everything that you do goes back to the Lord. And so one of the things that we see in this psalm right here is that we are encouraged and we are commanded, if you will, to share the gospel with people, to share the good news. And you're going to see this as we go through it. But one of the things I want you to notice is that this psalm is so full of action, calls to action. Notice in verse 1, you have two commands to do what? Sing. Oh, Sing. We're called to action. And then notice, who's called to do this? We're not just talking about just Christians here, right? This is really an evangelistic psalm. This is a psalm that speaks to the world and says, will y'all please come and sing with me to the God that I serve. Everybody in the earth or to come. And everybody is welcome to come and invited to come and worship this God. <laughs> now notice in verse two, you got another command to do what and to do what? That's right. you gotta call to sing, you gotta call to bless, you got to call to tell your story, tell of his salvation day to day. So this psalm is a church singing it, but it is a church singing to the world and t- singing to each other. And they're commanded: sing, bless the Lord, tell tell of His salvation. And then in verse three, you got a command to do what? Declare, declare His glory to the world. Now skip over to me to verse uh, seven. You got a command to do what? Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth, and that means give to the Lord. So now we're commanded to give to the Lord and then we have that again in verse 7 and then we got it in verse 8 and then at the end of verse 8 we got two more commands to bring an offering, to come into His courts. In verse 9, you got another command. What is the command to do? Worship. And then what is it, what else is the command in verse 9? Tremble, fear. Tremble before Him all the earth. Verse 10, here's another command. What is it? Say or tell, declare to the nations, say this to them. Say that the world is established by the Lord, it's not going to be moved, and He is going to judge the peoples. And so again, the point being is all throughout this psalm, what we have are commands to the nations, commands to us as the people of God, and every bit of it has to do about telling the Lord. Telling, not telling the Lord, telling about the Lord, the salvation of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, all the things that the Lord has done for us. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm going to break this down into four parts this morning. First part, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 is a call to worship. A call for everybody to worship. All right. Verses 3 through 6 is a call to witness, a call to witness to everybody in the world. Verse 7 through 9 is a call to repentance, a call for the world to repent and to come back to God, to put away the idols and to, and to, put your, to give Him the glory, not anybody else. And then in verses 10 through 13, we have the last part, a call to be ready a call to be ready. So that's what we're going to look at. First, let me give you just a little bit of context so you know where we're at in this psalm. This psalm is also found almost word for word in another part of the Bible. If you were to go, I'm not, you, don't, you don't have to go there right now, but just write it down so you can see it later. But if you were to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 22 through 33, you're going to see this psalm originally written there. All right? Now, one of the good things about that is this helps us to build some context. Because we can look at what was going on around it. And here's what was happening. So, in 1 Samuel chapter 4 through chapter 7, the Philistines were some of God's enemies. Y'all remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine, they were coming against the armies of God. Well, the Philistines were the people of God's enemy. And they lined up to attack Israel. Now Israel got scared and they wanted the the presence of God to be with them. So they called for the Ark of the Covenant to come into the camp where they were fixing the fight. When the Ark of the Covenant got there, they shouted and they were so excited. But the problem was this. The people that brought the Ark were priests who were very evil. And God had already declared in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that I'm going to kill them. (laughs) I'm going to kill them. They were, they were like pastors in the church who, who were just evil, doing sinful things in the congregation. And God had already declared, I'm going to take them out. And so, one of the things that happened in this is that whenever they thought God was going to be with them, actually what happened was just the opposite. God let the Philistines attack them. Another reason was because they were worshiping, Israel was worshiping other gods, which was not acceptable. God said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God alone. You shall have no other gods before me. And so, because of those things, God allowed Israel to be defeated by the Philistines. And the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant into their camp. All right? Now, when they took the Ark into their camp, they set it up in the temple of their God. And you can read all of this in 1 Samuel chapter 4 through chapter 7. I'm just giving you the summary. The Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, and they set it in their temple in front of their statue and their God who was named Dagon. All right, Dagon was the God of the earth. The God that gave them corn. The God that gave them crops. And He was the God that provided for them. Alright? And so... The next morning when the Philistines came into the temple, guess what they found? Dagon has toppled over and he is laying on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Now you would think, here's your sign, right? Not quite so. They take Dagon and they stand him back up. The next day they come back into the temple and guess what? Dagon is on his face again, but this time his head is broken off, his hands are broken off, they're laying in the threshold or the doorway of the temple, and the only thing that's laying in front of the ark is his body, his torso. That's basically all that's there. And so, you would think that that's what would have been their sign, but it still wasn't. Instead, God brings a plague on the place of the Philistines. And this plague comes and there are mice everywhere. And these mice bring disease. And the Bible says that tumors begin to pop up on all the people of the Philistines. So then finally they've had enough. But instead of repenting of their sin and trusting in God, instead they say, okay, we want this this ark out of here. And so they send it to another city of the Philistines in the place of Gath where Goliath was actually from. And when it gets to Gath, guess what happens there? Same thing. Mice break out, uh, tumors break out on all the people, and they cried, "Get this thing out of here! And so they get that they get it out of there, and it goes to another city of the Philistines. Guess what? Here we go again, all right? And so then they finally get the point, and they say they bring their priest up and they say, What do we do about this thing? because we can't live this way. And so the priest said, Well, here's what you do. You need to make five golden mice and five golden tumors and you need to give them as an offering to this God and then send it on its way back to the Israelites. And so they did. And so they sent it on its way and they watched it all the way and when it went into the city of the Israelites, these Israelites were also worshiping other gods and so God didn't bless the place and instead these Israelites looked inside of the Ark of the Covenant And guess what happened? They died. A bunch of them died. Well, then these Israelites said, y'all got to get this thing out of here. And so they send it to another Israelite home. This time, it ends up in a home of a godly person. And God blesses this home. And as David sees, finally 20 years pass by basically, okay? And it sits in this home. 20 years pass by and David sees that God is really blessing this man, blessing his house. And so he goes down and he decides, I'm going to get the Ark of the Covenant and I'm bringing it back to Jerusalem. I'm going to build a tabernacle and I'm going to put a new tent up and I'm going to put this Ark back where it belongs. Which sounds like a good idea, right? Only David didn't go about it the right way. Y'all remember the story of the, the Ark when it stumbled and the man touched it, trying to steady it, and what happened? You want to know why he died? He died because David put the ark on a cart pulled by oxen. That was not the way God said that you transport this cart. Certain Levites were supposed to transport this cart on their shoulders. And because they didn't do it the way that God had prescribed, on the way, the Bible tells us that God broke out against them because of this. Let me give you just a few scriptures to show you this. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1-4. through 4. It says, And the men of Kirith Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Elijah to have charge of the ark of the Lord. Now, this is the house that it ends up blessed in, okay? For the day, from the day that the ark was lodged at Kirith Jerem, however you say that, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away your foreign gods and the other God from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only and He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So what's the problem here? They're giving somebody glory. They're declaring honor and they're worshiping and they're ascribing to other gods, right? Not to the God of gods, And He's trying to bring them back around. So the people of Israel put away the bells and the Ashtoreth and they served the Lord only. We're on the right track. Now go with me to 1 Chronicles 15, verse 1-3. through David built houses for himself in the city of David and he prepared a place for the ark of God and he pitched a tent for it. Then David said, to, said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. All right? Now go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12 through 15. And he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time. Y'all catching this? Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek Him according to the rule. This is why the guy died. It wasn't just that he touched the ark because he was a Levite. It was because of the way that they were doing it. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And then one last scripture, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23 through 24. I may not have gave that one to them. 1 Chronicles 16, verse... I forgot that one, didn't I? 23 through 24. Listen to what it says. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. So here is the point. You've seen everything that's happened with the Philistines, with the Israelites, with all the people that worship other gods, right? Now David has brought the ark back and he writes this song. And this song is a song that they have been reminded because Israel was worshiping other gods too, right? That's the reason they were defeated to begin with. And so now David writes a song to the people of God to say, put away gods other than Him. Ascribe to Him glory. And he tells it not just to the people, but even to the Philistines. Guys, y'all need to recognize what God has done. You need to make sure that you don't ascribe these things to the Lord, but instead you give them to the God of all the earth. And so David wrote this psalm as a call to worship for the whole earth, even the people who are not under God right now. And so this is a psalm of evangelism. So let's start one at a time. Look at verses 1 through 2 of Psalm chapter 96. Notice again this is a call to worship. Now remember, The whole reason that missions exist, according to John Piper, is because worship doesn't exist. You were created for worship. If everybody on the world worshipped God the way you were designed to worship Him, we wouldn't need missions. The reason we need missions is because we're calling people back to what they were created for. To worship God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our chief end. And so this is a call for all the earth, like he said in verse 1. All the earth are to sing a song to him. Now the reason he says it's a new song is not necessarily just because it's a new song for the congregation of the people, but instead, this is going to be a new song for all the earth. Why is it going to be a new song? Because they've not been telling about the salvation of God from day to day. They've not been declaring the glory of God to all the nations. Instead, they've been telling of Dagon and the crops that he brings. They've been telling of the Ashtoreth and the God of war and the God of fertility and the moon God and the sun God and all these other gods. And David says to him, it's time for you to sing a new song. It's time for you to sing a song to the one true God And notice he says three times in verse 1 and 2, he says, sing, sing, sing. Why? Listen, singing began at creation. Singing began as a way to express praise and to bless the name of God. In Job chapter uh, 38, verse 4 through 7, notice what he says. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? This is God talking to Job. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon the earth when it was created? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone of the earth? And notice what happens at the day of creation. When the morning stars, or the angels is what it is, when the angels sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Singing began as a way to express praise and to bless the name of God from the beginning of creation. It was the gift that God gave us. And so when we call people in to be saved and to meet our God and to hear about what the Lord Jesus has done for us, we're actually calling them to come in and sing with us. Come in and praise the God that we praise with us. That's what you were created to do. And so here we see a call to worship for the whole world. Sing about His salvation from day to day. Proclaim it in song. And so David and all Israel, they knew what it was like to be saved from God's judgment, didn't they? Because God had delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. God had allowed some of them to die because of their sin. They knew what it was to see the judgment of God. Now, guess what? The Philistines also know what it's like to see the judgment of God. How? They've had the ark in there with them. They've seen what happens. And so this is a call to them to say, hey, y'all sing with us. Come in here with us. David didn't just see the Philistines as his enemy. That guy that slammed the door in our face when we were trying to witness to him, he's not our enemy. He's not our enemy. No, instead, he's somebody that needs to be called into the worship of God. All the earth needs to be called to worship. Verses 3 through 6, keep going with me, and you'll see the next call to witness. Next, he says, declare his glory. Where? Among the nations. Where are the nations? Where is that? Everywhere. Everywhere. All over the world, we declare His glory. In other words, David is saying to the people of God, the Philistines need to hear about our Savior. Guys, listen. I know that so many times that we think that this is just our salvation and all we got to do is worry about us. That's the mistake the Israelites made. See, when God called Abraham and He gave him the promise of being His people... He told him, He said, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. In other words, when God saves you, you are now a piece of conduit. Y'all know what conduit is? You are now a piece of conduit for the grace of God to run through and go to another place. And so we make a huge mistake. That's what Israel did. They became people who were the people of God, and you're not. We're the people of God. He's our God. He's not your God. We can't be that kind of people. We have to be the kind of people that understands God desires for all people to worship Him. One day, there are going to be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. They will be there praising God because of the evangelism that came through people like you and I. So we cannot be afraid to declare among the nations that we want you to worship this God with us. We want you to know who He is. We want you to see His judgment. We want you to experience His salvation. That's what it meant for them to tell of His salvation day after day. When I cross paths with you, I want you to know about the God that I serve. I want you to know about what this God has done for me. Not just that He gave me a house to live in and, and cars to drive and a job and breath to breathe. Are those things good to praise Him for? Why, yeah. But that's not just what the people need to hear. They need to hear about His salvation, that I was a sinner under the judgment of God and He saved me through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, He saved me. And we need to declare that to the nations. And then notice in verse 4, why do we need to do this? Because great is the Lord. We need to declare it because He's great. Is He great in your life? Is the question you have to ask. And not only is He great, but He is greatly to what? Be praised. And not only is He greatly to be praised, but He is greatly to be what? Feared above what? All gods. So again, this is a declaration to the world. See, listen, here's the problem that we have. We worship idols. Every one of us. All the world has something that they worship. You remember last week, I told you you were made for worship and you're going to worship something? Every day you worship something. Every day you declare something that you have found delight in and enjoyment in and... Every day there is something that you worship. And so here we're being called into a correct worship, not a worship of idols. I want you to think about um, what is it that, that you sing about when you sing. If you're riding down your car, I love country music. I love good, good old country music. I love, I got a station I listen to, it's 93.3. Anybody else out here ever listen to 93.3? Good old country. I mean, just plays good country. And I'll keep it on there a lot. And I love to sing along with the old songs and just sing good country music. But that's not the only thing I sing. I also sing to the Lord. You know why? Because I love the Lord. I love the Lord more than I love country music. I love the Lord more than I love any other music that is out there. I love orchestras. I love Celtic women. I love... There's all kind of music that I love. I love bluegrass. But the point is this, I love the Lord. And because I love the Lord, it comes out in my singing. I want to sing about the Lord. I want to sing to the Lord. And so, what do you sing to? What do you sing about? What is it that brings you delight and enjoyment the most? What do you declare to people when you speak? When you talk to people, what is it that just comes out of you? You know, I do very well talking to you from a pulpit up here. But anybody that's ever spent one-on-one time with me knows that it's the most awkward moment you've probably ever been in. Um, I don't do well one-on-one because, and unless, unless we're talking about the Bible or we're talking about things of the Lord. If we're talking about the Bible or the things of the Lord, we in there. If it's anything else, I'm I'm sitting there, my mind's spinning, and I'm sweating, and anxiety's popping up. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to go about it. It's just who I am, all right? And that's where my wife comes in because she's a chatty, chatty (laughs) chasty. She comes in, and when we go go out to eat with some of y'all couples, you will notice my wife does most of the talking. There's a reason for that, all right? But... What is it when you talk to people, what is it that you love to talk about? For some people it's sports. You just that's what you talk about. For some people it's motorcycles, for some people it's four-wheelers, for some people it's horses or cows or what is it that you love when you talk to people, what do you talk about? That will give you an idea of what your idol is. All right? I'm not telling you to put you, put you down. I'm telling you that maybe if you sing of this more than you sing of this, maybe there's an off-balance here in what you worship. If you talk of this more than you talk of this, maybe there's an off-balance here of what it is that you actually worship. And so here is a call for us to put away our gods and to, to look at the greatness of God and how greatly He is to be praised and to fear Him. You say, well, does that mean I'm supposed to just sit here and and tremble at Him? Well, in a little sense, yeah, but not in a way that makes you run away from Him. If the fear of God makes you go further away from Him, you don't fear Him as much as you should fear Him. Anybody that has seen the judgment of God in this world, you ought to look at that and go, I don't want to be on this side of His judgment and you are to recognize that He bids you to come to Him for safety, and guess what the fear of God ought to make you do? Lord, I'm coming. I'm on my way. And I'm going to get in here with You where I know I'm safe, because out there away from You is not where I want to be. And so, we are called to to fear the Lord, to declare all other gods and idols are nothing. Look at verse 5. I love the play on words we have here in verse 5. For all the gods of the people are what? Worthless. This word can actually be translated as nothing. And so if you were to read it in the Hebrew, this is the way it would read. For all the gods, and that Hebrew word would be Elohim. All right? Don't don't let me lose you. Just think about this. For all the Elohim of the peoples are Elohim. He's using, two play, he's using two words that are very similar to help them understand that all of these so-called gods, Dagon, Ashtoreth, all these other gods that you serve, even the whatever it is that you talk about the most, sports or um, horses or cows or, or whatever it is, it is all what? It's nothing. And yet you find all of your delight and you give it all of your worship. You give it all of your praise. And he says, guys, they're nothing. Wake up. It's nothing. But, in verse 5, but the Lord, here he don't say Elohim, he says Yahweh, the God of Israel, the covenant God, the Lord made the heavens. He's not worthless. He's the creator of it all. And not only that, but in verse 6, we move to the fact that splendor and majesty are before Him. Now one of the things they would do to their gods, they would decorate them. They would try to dress them up and they would be made of gold or they would be made of precious metals or, or fine wood, cedars, or whatever it was. And then they would, um, they would put ornaments on them to make them splendorous. And here, David comes in and he says to the Philistines, to the people of Israel, to all the world, all of those idols that you love so much because they look splendorous to you and you do things to make them splendorous, you need to understand something. Splendor and beauty and majesty, it's before the Lord. It's in His presence. It is who He is. You don't have to put an ornament on God. You don't have to make him out of precious metals. He just is splendorous. He just is majestic. He just has strength and beauty are in his sanctuary or in his praise or in his presence. Verse 7: this is the call to repentance. The call to repentance. So, because of the fact that you understand what it means to be saved, because of the fact that God calls you to declare it to the nations. Because of the fact that their gods are worthless, and because He is so splendorous and, and He is so glorious, then here's what you should do instead. You should quit giving or ascribing to them splendor and glory and honor and beauty, and you instead should give to the Lord what is due Him. So notice what it says in verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Who does that include? Everybody. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. You know why? Because that's what's due Him. You don't have to make God glorious and strong. Guess what? God is glorious and strong. So we come in here this morning not to make God appear to be glorious and strong. We come in here to give Him glory and to give Him strength that is due His name. We come in here to declare that God, You are glorious and You alone. You are strong and You alone. And then He goes on and He says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. What does it mean when something's due? When your electric bill is due. What does that mean? That's right. And if you don't pay it, what happens? I don't need nobody to give me a witness. I know some of y'all in here know what I'm talking about. But you know, when something's due, it is required. It is required. And so he says here, give to the Lord the glory that is due His name. Why is it due His name? Because He is glorious. Do y'all know that? He is full of splendor. He is majestic. He is strong. He is all-powerful and almighty. And He is our Savior. And we ascribe it to Him. We give it to Him. And then next, we bring Him an offering. Listen, here's what these people were doing. They're bringing their offerings to gods that are not glorious and splendorous. They're giving themselves and all of their sweetest possessions They're giving it to things that are worthless and are nothing. Same thing you and I do today with the majority of our time, right? We give our singing to things that are worthless. Not that you can't enjoy country music. I hope. (laughs) I enjoy it. Not that you can't enjoy certain other genres of, of song if they bring glory to God. But the fact of the matter is, you bring offerings and you sacrifice things to cows and horses and cars and houses. What do you sacrifice for a house? What do you sacrifice for a car? What do you sacrifice right now for gas to go in that car? I saw, I saw a video the other day. A man got out. He, said, he was in the truck. He said, y'all wouldn't believe how much gas it is today. And he jumps out of the truck and he has a fake leg and a fake arm. Gas cost him his leg and his arm today. But still, the fact of the matter is, we will give everything, everything for things that are worthless. Worthless. Look at some of these Scriptures about giving an offering to the Lord. Here's what a Christian is called to. In um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... This is a begging, right? By the mercy of God. You ever heard somebody say, for the love of Christ. Um, And so that's where Paul is going here. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? To give yourself to Him. Give your life to Him. Holy and acceptable to God. Why? This is your spiritual worship. And then look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're going to give your body to something, if you're going to give yourself to something, give it to the Lord first. Now, of course, does God know you need a house to live in? Yeah. God know you need a car to get back and forth to work? Yeah. Yeah. Does God know that sometimes you've got to provide for your family and you can't be in church every time the door is open? Does God know that? Yeah. But in your life, when your job, where you are, you are to be giving yourself to Him first. And every time that I am able to give myself to Him first, He comes first. And whatever it is that I have to do, and everything else, comes after that. Look at another Scripture with me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Again, if you're going to bring an offering to something, don't bring it to the things of the world, to the worthless gods. Bring your offering as a sacrifice of praise. That's what we're here for this morning. When I sing songs... I'm listening for a truth in that song that I can say amen to. And I can give Him glory. And I can say, God, thank You for this. God, thank You that I can come boldly before Your throne. Thank You, God, that my name is graven on Your hand. Thank You, God. I want to be able to sing songs that give sacrifices of praise to Him. And then one last one, Romans 6 verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members or your bodies as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more and more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You want to give God a sacrifice? You want to give Him an offering? Don't give yourself as a slave to do things that are ungodly. Make your body and make yourself a temple for the Lord that wants to give offering to to, to Him, that wants to give an acceptable sacrifice to Him. And then, go with me to 6.20, there you go. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, when you were a sin, you were free to righteousness. You didn't have to worry about it. But, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is what? Death. We we'll Go to verse 22 for me. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get now... In other words, when you give your body an offering to Him, when you make your life an offering to Him whenever you make Him first in everything that you do, you know what the fruit is that you get from that? Sanctification. And it's end. Guess what the end of your sanctification is? Eternal life. You really think you're on your way to heaven and yet living in the world? Jesus said you'll know a tree by what? You'll know a tree by its fruit. Bring an offering to God. And then finally, in verse um, 10, we got a call to be ready. Say among the nations, people, say this to them the Lord reigns. Not Dagon, not Ashtoreth, not horses, not cows, not deer hunting, not fishing, not golf, not money. Or how many of us in here? Money reigns. Money is my God. Say to the world, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And not only does He reign, but the world is well established. In other words, when you see the judgment in the world the way that it is, you need to understand something. God is in full control. Don't look at the world today and turn the news on and think that everything is out of order and that this... Can I I be uh, frank with you for just a minute? The world's gone to hell in a handbasket. Don't turn the news on and start thinking that. The world is well-established, guys. Not a sparrow falls from the sky, apart from His will. What you see is the judgment of God. The judgment of God on sin. And then, notice what He says next. He says, It shall never be moved, but... He will judge the peoples with equity. He is going to come and He's going to judge with equity. Now this is important. And I'm coming to a close. Give me about five more minutes. That means about 20. All right? but give me about five. In this culture, in this culture, justice was hard to come by. The only way you're going to get any kind of justice is if you bribe a judge. All right? And so in this culture, equity... Is not found. All right? Y'all remember the, the women, that when their husbands died, they couldn't find no justice. You remember Jesus telling the parable about the widow woman that kept coming saying, get me justice, get me justice, but she was coming to an unjust judge. That would have been a common story for them in this day and time. Because justice was hard to come by. So in this culture, when they looked at the world and they saw all the evil and they wanted God to come and right all of my wrongs, They knew what that felt like because there was no one to ever right a wrong. At least in our culture, there is some justice, some. In this culture, there was hardly any. And so they longed and they desired for God to come and finally judge the world and punish evil and reward righteousness. And they long for it and they said, you need to tell the world that He is coming to judge. And if you'll tell them this, look what the result should be. In verse 11, the heavens will be glad. The earth will rejoice. The sea will roar and everything that fills it. Even the fish are going to roar, guys. The fish are going to rejoice when they hear that the Lord is coming. And I'm going to prove it to you here in a minute. They um then it says, Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let me read one last scripture to you. It comes from Romans chapter eight, verse eighteen through twenty-three. Look what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. All right. For the creation does what? Waits with eager longing for the revealing of what. We're wa- Creation is waiting for mankind to be redeemed. All right, keep going with me. For the why? Why is it waiting? Because the creation itself was subjected to the curse, to futility, not willingly. You know, I got a dog right now that's down, got hit by a car. My my, my dog, she's such a, such a good dog, sweet dog, got hit by a car. And now I have to pick her up and carry her out so that she can just lay there and try to use the bathroom. I pick her up, I bring her back in, just trying to get her healed. Did she ask for these kind of things to happen in this world? Did she do anything to deserve these things? Why is she having to go through the things of this world that are bad and evil because of my sin. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. What did He subject it in? Hope. What was the hope? That you would see it and that you would turn from the judgment of God and that you would come back to Him. Go to verse 21 with me that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know why the trees are exulting when they hear the Lord is coming to judge? You know why the ocean and all the fish in it are shouting for joy when they hear the Lord is coming to judge? You know why my dog's sitting at home right now wagging her tail because she hears the Lord is coming to judge? Because they know. They know that they are going to be set free from this same bondage when the sons of God are revealed. Listen, animals are smarter than you think they are. They are. They're smarter than you think they are. And apparently God has given them some kind of a knowledge to understand that when the day comes, they're going to be set free from it too. And the creation waits with eager longing with eager expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we also are groaning who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we what? Wait eagerly for the adoption. Anybody been doing any groaning lately? Anybody doing any eager waiting for the adoption? as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so this is a call to be ready. And so in closing, I'm going to give you all a break this morning. I'm done. In closing, have you experienced the salvation of God? Have you experienced... Do you understand? See, we look at this judgment of the world and we think all this is just normal. You turn on the news and you think, well, just another school shooting. Just just another war. Do you understand that this is not the way things are supposed to be? You go to a funeral and you say, well, just another death. Don't you understand this is not the way things are supposed to be? And the whole point is that we are able to look at the judgment of God and we're able to say, God, thank You. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You that even though I'm still groaning now because of this curse, I'm eagerly waiting for that day. For that day when You come back and when You adopt me fully as Your child and You redeem my body. And if that's true and you've experienced that, then this is a call for us to come and worship together, to sing and bless His name, to tell of His salvation in song, and to declare it to the world. The next thing if you have experienced that, guys, don't be ashamed to tell your story. You don't have to know everything about the Bible to tell somebody what it means that Jesus saved you. You didn't have to be a drug addict to have some great testimony. Do you understand that a liar, that somebody that's only told one lie in their whole life, if there ever was that person, that person's sin is going to condemn them to an eternity in hell as well? That person and the drug addict and and whatever else they've done, They're going to spend eternity in the same place. You just need to understand that God's righteousness requires perfection and how many of you have attained to that? And yet He saved you. You ought to be able to tell your story of the salvation of God. If you're still worshiping idols and you saw this morning that that, um, you know you give your offering and you give your sacrifice and you give your praise to the idols, I want to remind you this morning that they're nothing. They're worthless. They're going back to the dust from which they came. And one day soon, they won't be here any longer. I would tell you to repent today. Give your sacrifices and your offerings to Him. Would you make a commitment to God today that you want Him to be your number one? That you want to give your worship and your praise to Him? That you want forgiveness for the idols that you've had in your life And you want to put them away. And you want to give Him the glory and ascribe to Him the honor and the praise. And then, last but not least, be ready. Be ready. When you hear that the Lord is coming, it ought to make you shout for joy if you're eagerly waiting, if you're groaning in this body. But for so many, how many of you, when you hear the Lord is coming, instead, it brings chills to you. Instead, it brings fear to you. If the doctor were to come in today and say, You got two weeks to live, what would that do to you? Would it crush you? I'm going to be honest with you. For me, yeah, I'd hate to hear it. I'd hate to hear it, but it's not going to crush me. It's not going to crush me. Mark my words. It's not going to crush me. You know why? Because I'm eagerly waiting. I'm eagerly waiting. And one day, one day, I'm either going to get that news or something else or the Lord's going to come back, but I'm sitting here eagerly waiting for that day and I come in and I sing about it and I shout about it and I'm happy about it because I'm ready and I'm waiting. If that's not your definition of your life today, today's a good day to humble yourself before Him and say, God, I'm sorry that I put so many things before You. God, I'm sorry that I worship so many things that don't deserve my worship. God, today, I want it to be You. Forgive me. Repent of that and turn to Him.